Jesus Christ to the cross, he nailed my sin to that cross. And he completely paid the price so that I could have life and freedom and hope by putting my faith and my trust in his finished work on the cross. And thank you that's available to all who would yield their selves, their lives, their hearts, their whole beings to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Father, in the next few moments, I pray that you would remind us once again of just how great you are, how great the work of your son, Jesus Christ, is and was, and what it accomplishes on our behalf. I pray by your spirit, our eyes and our hearts would be open and would be willing to listen to what it is that you have to say through your word. I pray that we would see Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. As you, if you've been with us, you're aware that we've been working through the book of uh, Hebrews. And uh, we have been, I know that I'm going to just run into everything this morning. I can, I can feel it behind me. It's just one of those things. You know that we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. And this morning we've come to a passage in chapter, Hebrews chapter 7 that um, is an interesting passage when you read it. Uh, because you often read this passage if you've read it and you go, hmm, I wonder what that's really all about. <laughs> It's one of those passages. And so this morning, we're going to dive in and look at it. Are you one of those people who likes it when a plan works out? When you have put some effort, some time into making a plan, and that plan actually comes to fruition the way that you thought it would? Do you, do you like that? Uh, what? Yeah, I, I do. I like that. I like working off a blueprint. I like to have, I, I'm one of the weird people when I open something and it needs to go together. I actually like the instructions. Um, I, I like to see uh, if the instructions work the way they say that they're going to. And I really love it when they do, when, when they actually work out the way that they're supposed to. And in life, there are all kinds of things that we do, that, we, that we're involved in, that we're, we're part of, that we make a plan or we look at a plan and we work our way through a plan and we come to the end of the plan. Do you know how nice that feels? Thank you, Joe. I, I just, that feels so good to me. Anyway, we work our way through a plan and we come to the end of a plan and when it works together, we're like, yes, that worked. Yes, that looks the way it did in the picture. Yes, I planned for that period of time or that many years, and maybe it's a budget, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's education, maybe it's a job that you wanted, but you walk through a plan and you come to the end and it worked out. And it's like, yes, that is so refreshing. That feels so good. That's really what this passage is about this morning. And that may seem weird to you when, you when we read it, but really, it's, it's about the plan of God and how God just plans things out forever <laughs> because he's God. And we're going to look at that briefly this morning. But I want to remind you of a couple of things before we get there. Remember last week, we talked about this, that we have an anchor in Jesus Christ. We have an anchor for our soul. And it said this about the anchor that we have. Our anchor is, is not just an anchor in a rock, but our anchor is firm. Our anchor is secure. Our anchor is eternal. 
Our anchor is formed and found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not dependent on us at all. It's dependent on what Jesus Christ did. And we finished up last week saying this, that we can be encouraged as believers because our anchor is not anchored down. It's anchored up, remember, in what Jesus Christ did and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he finished his work. And I skipped the last verse on purpose last week because I wanted to use it this morning. So chapter 6 verse 20 is the end of what we studied last week. And it says this, Jesus has entered there, the right hand of the Father, heaven, eternal glory with the Father on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And I didn't want to touch that last week because I didn't want you walking away thinking about what in the world does that mean because we were going to study that this week. And so he finished his work. He's the anchor for our soul. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And it has this, this weird phrase that shows up and it says that in finishing his work, he is a high priest by the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is a character that's actually found in Genesis chapter 14. And a few weeks ago, a number of weeks ago, actually almost a month ago now, I said we would get back to this character. I reminded you, I told you that he, was, he existed and I said we'd get back to him. We're back there today. You waited, you were patient, we're there. Okay, he's mentioned in Genesis 14. He's also mentioned in Psalm 110 verse 4. Only two places that he's mentioned in the Old Testament. Let me read it. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. He's talking about what's to come. The psalmist is and he's looking ahead to the coming of Jesus Christ. So two mentions here. One back in Genesis chapter 14, and then one in Psalms, and then Hebrews. Hebrews actually spends more time on this character than either of the other passages do. But let me give you some background. If we went back to Genesis chapter 14, you remember Abraham... Abraham was kind of a pivotal person, pivotal character in the nation of Israel. Actually, he's the father, right? It's how a lot of these stories and events that happen in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, he's the beginning person. There's some covenants that were made with Abraham, some promises that were made to the, to the nation of Israel that was about to come, but also to all of mankind through the person of Abraham. Abraham had a nephew and his name was Lot. And if you remember back in Genesis, if you don't remember, go back and read it, okay? Because you're going to miss some things. But if you go back to Genesis 14, right in that area, you remember that Lot and Abraham, God had come to Abraham and he told Abraham, I want you to get out of your country to a place that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And when Abraham left... To follow God, Lot went with him. And they ended up in, in, a, in a portion of land and they, they realized that their flocks and their herds were too great and they couldn't, keep, they couldn't stay together. And so Lot looked and he saw the plain and on the plain were two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot decided that he would go live in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And Abraham went and the Lord told him, look, all that you see, because you've chosen to follow me, this is all going to be yours and I'm going to make you a great nation. And Lot took off and he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. He got in trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you read that story, you find what sin does. If you go to the city of sin and you you choose to live in the city of sin, you find out how it affects you. And it affected him majorly. And while he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, a king came and he did battle and he took Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Abraham heard that. And so he went to rescue Lot and God gave him a victory over this king. There was a battle fought and he won a victory over this king and he rescued Lot and he rescued a whole bunch of other people and a lot of material goods. And he came back to the plain. And when he came back to the plain, scripture tells us this, that Melchizedek, the king, met him on the plain. And I need you to pay pay close attention because this king is so important that Abraham, the patriarch, the one who God is blessing and God is going to make a blessing of all nations, this great man that God has chosen to use to be the beginning of of our faith, the beginning of the one who would send the redeemer, Jesus Christ. And you've got to understand the depth of this. This one, Abraham, stands before this king, Melchizedek, And he takes a tenth of all that he has and he pays a tithe to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blesses him. And you go, why does that matter? Well, it matters because Abraham, the patriarch, the one who's going to be the beginning of this great nation of Israel, the one through whom eventually Christ will come, is giving honor to someone And we're going to read in just a minute who this Melchizedek really is. Now, I want to give you two schools of thought, and I'm not going to tell you. These are just so that you understand that they're out there. One school of thought says that Melchizedek is a Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament for a brief moment where Christ appears among men and does something miraculous and then disappears again. So there's a school of thought that believes that this is Melchizedek. There's also a school of thought that believes that he's a physical person. I fall in the category who think that he's a physical person. And there's reasons for that. We can talk about that. There's tons of debate. I'm not getting into it this morning, okay? But I want to read these verses. You ready for this? We're going to jump in chapter 7, verse 1. Here we go. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, Very different than anyone else, by the way. Nowhere else do you find a king and a priest functioning in the same role all the way through the Old Testament. Doesn't happen. So here's this guy. He's a priest of the Most High God, and he's the king of Salem. He met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So that's the story I just told you. First, His name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So this king is seen before the patriarchs, before Abraham's time, God had put his hand on this king and he said, look, this king is a king of righteousness and he's a king of peace. He's presenting the truth of who God is, the character of God to the people who lived in that day. Now remember, up to this point, there's no Levitical priest yet, right? Because the tribe of Levi doesn't exist. 
So it's God saying, look, here's a king who is righteous. Here's a king who's full of peace. And he's a picture of who I am. And this is who Abraham honors. He's a king of peace. He's without father, mother, or genealogy, neither having beginning of days nor end of life. That's why there are folks who would say that this is a Christophany. But resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And what that's telling us this is there's no, there's, there's no one who's written anything down about the history of this guy. They don't have it. And I think there's reasons for that, which we could talk about later. Now consider how great this man was. Even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of, of his plunder to him. The sons of Levi, who received the priestly office, have commanded according to the law to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their brothers and sisters, though they also are descendants from Abraham. Now stop for a minute and say this. This is the beginning of what God sets up for his people to give a tenth. You've heard of a tithe, right? Giving a tenth of what you have back to God. And it's a reminder that all that I have is God's, that it's from, it's a provision from God's hand. And in the law, they put that in place as a reminder to the people all the time. Look, we're we're God's people. God blesses us. God gives us. And that's a reminder to them. And, and what the author is saying here is, look, this, what Abraham did predates the law. It's before God even set up the law. But it's a picture of what God would do for the people. And so he's saying, look, even the patriarch realized who this person was and the importance of this person and what he did jump back into the passage but one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises without a doubt the inferior is blessed by the superior not very hard to understand Abraham saw this person as greater than himself in the one case men who will die receive a tenth but in the other case scripture testifies that he lives and in a sense Levi himself who begins the priest who received a tenth, has paid a tenth through Abraham, for he was still within his ancestor when, when Melchizedek met him. In other words, the, the Levitical priests weren't even born yet. And Abraham honors this before God of paying a tenth. Now, you read that and you go, okay, that's confusing. Right? Admit it. Go ahead. I thought about this for the last couple of weeks. Every time I read it, I'm like, that's confusing. And... You can say it, because I'm going to. Why does it matter? Right? You were thinking it. I know you were, because I thought it. Okay, maybe you're better than me, and you didn't think it. Why does it matter? Let me stop just for a minute. Don't think about the passage for a minute. I want you to hear me. There are those today who are telling you that not all of the scriptures have the same weight. In other words, they don't all matter the same way. There are those who are looking at you and telling you this, look, what the Old Testament, that was for the Old Testament. Well, that was for people long ago. That was for the nation of Israel, and it doesn't matter. And I want to tell you something this morning, just by reading this passage, it does matter. Everything that God has written in his word is for us for all time. And it matters 
because this passage we're reading from Hebrews goes back to Genesis 14, and God is showing you the mind of God. He's showing you the character of God. Remember when I started this morning and I said, isn't it nice to have a plan that you've thought through and you've worked it out and you come to the end and you go, the plan worked. It did what it was supposed to do. What we're reading this morning, these verses from Hebrews, God is taking us by his spirit and he's pointing back to Genesis 14 and he's saying, look, when man sinned, in the garden, I wasn't surprised. When Adam and Eve decided to act on their own volition and their own will, and they wanted to be better than God because that's really what was going on, it was pride of heart. I wasn't sitting in heaven wringing my hands saying, what do I do now? I wasn't sitting in heaven going, how is this all going to work out? I wasn't taken off guard. I wasn't surprised by what was in the heart of mankind because I gave them the ability to choose and I gave them free will. And in doing that, I had a plan for mankind. And when we read these verses in Hebrews, what we're seeing is God saying, look, I had a plan and I set that plan in motion the, the, the minute that sin showed up on earth and in the heart of humanity and I worked out that plan all the way through time. And you need to walk away this morning realizing that what we've read and what we've referred to in Genesis chapter 14 is showing us the heart and the character of God for humanity, but let's make it personal. On the count of three, I want you to say your name out loud. Okay, you ready for this? One, two, three. Tim. Let's do it one more time because some of you weren't sure of your name. One, two, three. Tim. What you have to understand is this. Look, God looked ahead in time and he saw you and he saw me. And he just didn't make a plan for humanity. He made a personal plan for me, for you. And when we read this passage and we scratch our head and we're like, what in the world is that about? Realize that God set in motion something back in Genesis 14 with this character, this king and this high priest, Melchizedek, that was a plan that was being worked out in the in, in heaven, in the realms of heaven and would be worked out through his son, Jesus Christ, for me personally, for my sin. And when he paints this picture for us in Hebrews, he says, look, I wanted mankind to know that there was a priest coming, a high priest coming, who's the priest of righteousness and the priest of the king of righteousness and the king of peace and the high priest who would pay the price for sin for all eternity for all people. And I wanted to paint a picture way back at the beginning so you would see my heart and my character. 
Was God surprised? No. Was God disappointed? Yeah. Was God hurt? Yeah. He was hurt by our sin. But he wasn't taken off guard. And he had a plan in motion for you and for me to be redeemed, to be made new, to have an anchor. And it's wrapped up in the story of this king and this priest of Melchizedek. It's what God did for us. Let's let the passage continue to explain. Let me read verses 11 to 17. It says this. Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priests, for on the basis of it, the people received the law. Stop for a minute. I know we didn't get very far, but I need you to see this. Remember, because of man's sin, because we were separated from God, and the nation of Israel began through the, the father, their father Abraham, right, and Isaac, and then the 12 sons and the 12 tribes are born. And they were still, they're a special, a peculiar, Bible tells us they were a special people with the hand of God on them, but they were still separated from God by their sin. They still couldn't go into the presence of God. And so God said, look, these are my special people. These are a special people who will end up bringing to us Jesus Christ as the payment of our sin. But I've got to do something until Jesus comes. And so what he says is this. I set up a system where there were priests and there was a law. And the law proved how far removed from God you were because of your sin. And the priest made a way for you to get access to God. And that system that I set in place in the Old Testament, it was flawed and it was broken because even though you asked for forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness wasn't complete because it was wrapped up in a person who was a human who was also a sinner. You think of those priests in the Old Testament, they were sinners as well. And when they came into the presence of God, they had to make a sacrifice for their own sin, not just the sin of the people. And when they left the sacrifice, when they left the altar, when they left the Holy of Holies, they had to worry about the sin in their own life because they were human and they started all over again the same way you and I do. And so he says, look, I set up a system that would prove to you how short you fall. That's really what the law is for. The law proves to us that we're not good enough. We can't make it. It did the same thing to the people in the Old Testament. And he said, so I set up a system that was, was failed and frail because of its, its humanity. It couldn't make it. What further need was there for another priest to appear? Said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change in the law as well. For, the one, the, for one, these things are spoken about belonged to a different tribe. In other words, Melchizedek wasn't of the tribe of Levi because he was born before them. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, the tribe of Judah. And Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. And this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest because of legal regulation, but physical descent, but based on the power of the indestructible life. For it has been testified, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now you read all that and you go again, what in the world is he talking about? He's saying this, look, 
Jesus is not a priest by a broken order. The Levites, right? Who were human and failed. Remember I just said, they sinned. They were men. No, Jesus Christ is an order that was spoken by God and placed on him. The same way Melchizedek was a high priest, spoken by God and placed on him. The Levitical priesthood had its limits. It was set up to serve humans and to serve sinful man by sinful man. It was not a perfect action. It had its limited, and it was limited in its abilities. And God says, but I want to make a way that has no limits, and it has no ends. And I want to make a priest, a high priest, who's called the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And I want to set that up for you so that you can be forgiven for all time not like the priest of the Old Testament. And so God is making a change. He's making a change. So God set up a line, the great high priest. Now, again, you're sitting here saying, okay, I get it, Tim. You've said it. You've said it a number of times. But why does it matter? Why does it matter that we know that? Let's go back to context. Who was the book of Hebrews written to? Not a trick question. Who was it written to? Hebrews. Let's say that again because some of you fell asleep in the last explanation. Who was the book of Hebrews written to? Hebrews, right? Jewish believers. What did the Hebrews want to do? Do you remember from way back at the beginning of the book? Do you remember what was going on in the heart of the Hebrew people, this church that he's writing this, this letter to? They wanted to give up. They wanted to quit on their faith. They wanted to go back. See, when they came to faith, remember what we told you about this group of people when they came to faith? They lost their ability to worship in the synagogue. They lost their friends and their family that they were close to because they'd put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And they were discouraged. Ever been there? Been discouraged in your faith? Remember the context. The author is writing to a group of people who have become discouraged in their faith and they're ready to give up and to turn around and to go back to what they already knew because it was comfortable. And they wanted to go back. And the author stops at this point and he goes back to history. See, you've got to understand something about this group of people. They knew their history. They knew the lineage. They knew who Abraham was. The priest of Levi meant a lot to them because it was their religious system. And the author stops them and he says, look, why would you go back to something that's inferior? Why would you go back to priests that can't provide eternal salvation when you have the great high priest before you who has made the sacrifice for your sin and gives you the ability to stand in the presence of God for all time? Why would you turn back to what's inferior? Let me stop this morning and ask you, believer, why would you turn back? Why would you go back to your former life? Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're discouraged. You're discouraged in your relationship with God. You're discouraged in your walk with God. And you've been thinking about giving up. Why would you go back? 
That's what the author's saying. That's what he's telling us this morning. He's saying, look, I, God created, he had a plan for all time and he knew what sin would do to our hearts and our lives. And he had a plan. He had a plan for all of humanity, all mankind, for you and I personally, not just the group, but for us personally. And his plan is far more superior than what you know and what you understand. So why go back? Don't. That's what he's telling the people here. You have something that is so much greater at your gra- in your grasp. You have an anchor in the Christ, the God who paid the price for all of yours. Don't turn back. Believer, don't turn back. You have the great high priest. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he indwells you. He goes before you. He has your best interest in mind all the time. Let me give you this same thought from another passage of scripture to maybe help you, maybe encourage you just a little bit this morning. I want to end with these verses from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified, we've been made right by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop for just a minute. If you are waiting for a priest to make you right with God, he can't do it, and you don't have peace with God. Only the great high priest, Jesus Christ, can make you right with God, and he's done it. He's justified you. We also have obtained access through him by faith into this grace grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only, if that wasn't enough, not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Remember, we want to go back. We're discouraged. It's hard. I want to give up. But we boast in that difficulty. We boast in that affliction because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint. It's not, I have dreams. I hope I get chocolate tomorrow. That's not what he's talking about. He says, I have hope in a person who's an anchor. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's the exact same statement that he made in in Hebrews. He said, look, because you have a great high priest who has finished his work, he's at the right hand of his father. And because he has done that, you, when you ask for him to forgive your sin, you get to be in the very presence of God. And you have peace with God. You're not there wringing your hands saying, I hope he doesn't get mad because he's already paid the price for your sin. And you get to stand at peace in the presence of God with the hope of eternity. And the afflictions and the difficulties that you're facing are only there to build your character and make you more like Christ. Don't give up. Don't give up. If you get nothing else this morning, 
Don't go back. Don't give up. Because your great high priest has done everything that's needed for you to have hope and life and peace while you're living here. It's at your disposal. Father, would you grant us the courage not to turn away? The author was writing to a group of people who wanted to give up. And he reminds them of their position because of Christ. The great high priest. A finished work that gives us security, gives us an anchor, gives us hope, and will develop our character to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. God, help us to keep looking at our hope, who is Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Help us to not turn back, but to press forward towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone. Have an awesome week.